I can't think of a better place to celebrate Resurrection Day than the middle of a cemetery. Here I am surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of headstones, all engraved with words of hope about the promise of eternal life through the saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we join our voices with all these saints already gathered up into God's presence to proclaim the ancient and eternally relevant simple gospel message, Christ is risen. Now I'm going to say that three times and each time you respond at home, right where you are, you say he is risen indeed, all right? So say it loud, don't be, don't be shy. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. You know, that, that never gets old for me because it articulates the simplicity of what our faith is all about. We let everything in life get so complicated, so confusing, so exhausting. It's important on Easter Sunday to make things simple, to use this day to recalibrate your life, to go, go back to the basics, rediscover what is truly important kind of clear away the weeds, put away the debris, clear our minds of this COVID fog, and re-engage with the essence of what God has for us in this world. Let's use this Resurrection Day to recommit to following Jesus wholeheartedly, unreservedly, enthusiastically. Let's go back to that first Easter and reconnect with the source and center of our salvation. He was a traveling spiritual teacher, a carpenter by trade, and he ran afoul of the religious and political authorities of his day. After a rigged trial, he was led outside the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the main city of an insignificant province on the farthest edge of the Roman Empire. The year was about 30 AD. The time about 9.30 in the morning, a Roman soldiers crucified him, but that's what they did to every troublemaker. About three o'clock in the afternoon, the order was given to speed things along because the officials didn't want a lot of dead bodies hanging on crosses during the Jewish holy day. So the Roman guards started breaking the legs of the poor wretches on the crosses struggling to breathe because in crucifixion, you, you die of asphyxiation. You die because eventually your chest muscles give out and the only way to breathe is to push up on the nail that's pounded through your feet. And when you can no longer push up on that nail to take your gasp of air, you suffocate. When the guards came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, but they weren't rookies at this. So just to be sure he wasn't faking it, uh, one of them put a spear into his heart, ruptured the pericardium so that blood and water flowed out. So what makes Jesus' death unique? There are certainly a lot of other famous tragic deaths. Abraham Lincoln, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., or this week the news cycle is fixated on the trial surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd. Lots of tragic deaths in this world, but here we are almost 2,000 years out from Jesus' death. Do you think that in 1,000 years people will still be talking about these other deaths, except maybe as a minor footnote in history? What is it that makes Jesus' death so unique? Well, it's not because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. God's one and only eternal son. Historians tell us that there were at least 15 other men around Jesus' time who also claimed to be the Messiah. They all gathered a small contingent of followers, but they all flamed out like shooting stars, and then their disciples disappeared. They, they didn't last. Their names are forgotten. In fact, there have been thousands of people over the centuries who have all claimed you know, some messianic title, and they have all faded into obscurity. So by itself, the claim to be God's uh, Messiah is not what makes Jesus unique. 
And it's not because of the way Jesus died. Lots of other people were crucified. It was the standard method of execution for the Roman legion. Countless thousands met their death this way. In the year 4 BC, after a revolt in Galilee, the Roman Emperor Varus crucified 2,000 men in one day. So countless thousands over the centuries have faced such tortures. So the way Jesus died is not what makes him unique. What makes Jesus' death the most famous death in history is what happened after he died. The earliest recorded message of his followers is the one we just repeated. He is risen. His grave is empty. A trio of women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they were the first ones to Jesus' tomb that resurrection day. They ran to the disciples to tell them what they had seen. And the strangest part of the story is that Jesus' disciples were the first ones to doubt it. An empty grave? Are you kidding me? They didn't believe it at first. The men didn't believe their story. Women weren't considered to be reliable witnesses. In their ancient court system, the testimony of women was discounted. You know, the problem of men not believing the testimony of women has been going on for a very long time. If it had been a man, an upstanding citizen like Joseph of Arimathea, the guy who provided the tomb for Jesus' body, and not the word of a reformed prostitute, if it had been he, he who was the first witness, maybe then other men would have instantly believed. But God chose women to be the first ones to proclaim the gospel. He is risen. Our faith began with the witness of women. And that witness was that Jesus' tomb was empty. At least the disciples did the minimum. They decided to investigate if what the women said was true. They went to the tomb themselves, found out that, that the women, they got it right. And then, then they remembered that that is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Repeatedly, specifically, Jesus had told them that he would die and would rise again. And that would be the proof that he was who he said he was. One of those times was when he went through the great temple of Jerusalem like a bulldozer, cleansing out all the money changers and the merchants whose overinflated prices were robbing the temple worshipers of their money and their dignity. I spoke on that last week. You know, if you missed it, you can always go uh, back and listen to the previous uh, sermons or download the, uh, the sermon manuscripts from our website. But right after his one-man riot, the temple leaders got up in Jesus' face and demanded to know. This is in John 2, starting with verse 18. They said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. They replied, it has taken 40 years, 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the, te the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So, what makes Jesus' death unique is what happened after he died. His tomb is empty. I mean, you can visit the tomb of Confucius. He's buried in his hometown of Khufu in Shandong province in China. You can go on a pilgrimage to the tomb of the, the prophet Muhammad. His body is buried under a green-colored dome in the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia. You can travel to exotic Nauvoo, Illinois, and visit the grave of Joseph Smith, the founder of the Latter-day Saints, or even the tomb of Martin Luther, you know, the great hero of the Protestant Reformation. He's buried in All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Lots of holy people, 
lots of graves to visit, all with one thing in common, the body or the body's ashes are still there. Go to the Holy Church of the Sepulchre, also called the Church of the Resurrection, in the Christian quarter of the walled old city of Jerusalem, the church that was built over the supposed spot where Jesus' tomb was. And all you'll find there are bare gray and brown slabs of stone. The only thing that makes that tomb unique is that it's empty. Jesus had told them that's what was going to happen. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. What an audacious thing to say. No grave can keep my body down. That's what Jesus said. More powerful than death itself, the proof that everything he said was true, it all hinged on that one reality. No grave can keep my body down. That message went right over their heads because he was in the great temple when he said it and they all took Jesus super literally. They all thought he was talking about the temple structure. The Jerusalem temple was the pride of ancient Israel. It was the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Vietnam Memorial kind of all rolled into one. The temple was not a single building but a massive complex that had taken 46 years to build and it would take another 20 years to complete. And then in AD 70, it would be totally demolished by the occupying Roman army and the Jewish people forcibly scattered. The court area where Jesus confronted the money changers was just one section. And Jesus, by his actions and his preaching, was saying there was something corrupt at the very heart of Israel's worship at that time. And his mission was not just about tweaking the system a little bit until they got it right. It wasn't about just removing some corruption and then going on with business as usual. His mission wasn't just about improving or reforming what happened inside those great halls. What he was doing was something bigger than a call to clean up their act or to make the temple great again. Jesus was going to make the great temple totally obsolete. By offering his body on the cross, his one sacrifice would do away completely with the whole system of temple sacrifices because they were always intended to be a symbolic representation of what the Messiah would do. Jesus as the one true Messiah would be the spotless Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And once the sacrifice for the sins of the world was complete, there wouldn't be any further need for any animal sacrifices whatsoever. All those animals over all those centuries were an ongoing symbolic representation of what the Messiah would do with his own body. Now that the Messiah had come, all that would be superfluous, unnecessary, obsolete. God would put on Jesus' perfect shoulders all the sin of the world, your sin and mine, and the only one capable of carrying that burden would be God's own sinless Son. The Apostle Paul summarized this complex truth so succinctly in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where he writes, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And Jesus said the proof that all this is true, the proof that he really was the one who could bear the sins of the world, the proof that forgiveness is possible and grace receivable, the proof that the power of sin is broken and the power of God is triumphant, the proof is the empty tomb. No grave can keep his body down. Can you say that with me? No grave can keep his body down. Say it like you mean it. No grave can keep his body down. Friends, that's the good news. That's the simplicity of the gospel, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. 
It's the cornerstone of the disciples' message from day one, and it must remain the epicenter of Christian life today. There is no compromise on that, no compromise. That's why Jesus is worthy of our worship. The disciples all knew that from the get-go, St. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then this whole holiday is just a waste of time and we should just all eat chocolate bunnies till our teeth rot out. If Christ is not raised, think of the consequences. God is a liar. The Bible is not worthy of, worth reading or believing. Your sin is not forgiven. If there's no resurrection for Jesus, then there's no resurrection for you. There is no hope beyond this life. What happens after we die is just anybody's guess. That's why his empty tomb is so important. The Bible reduces the Christian faith to this one simple statement. This is like the bare minimum of what it means to be a Christian. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Declare with your mouth. Other translations say confess with your mouth. And that just means more than lip service, more than just, you know, mouthing a few words. It means you are agreeing with God from the center of your heart about the Lordship of Jesus. Lord, divine king, sovereign, ruler, governor, master, boss, captain, commander, chief, whatever word suits you the best, that's what the Lord, word Lord means. Jesus takes first place in your life. Lord of all or not Lord at all. Declare that reality with the words that come from your heart, your life surrendered to his. That's your truth. And then believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, not a symbolic resurrection, not some sentimental mush like Jesus' influence lives on inside all good people who do nice things for the world. That Jesus' resurrection is, is just a metaphor that hope springs eternal and life is all butterflies and puppy dogs. No, Jesus became alive with a real, physical, corporal body, not a dream or a fantasy, not a hallucination or a ghost, a real physical body that could be seen and touched. That's why the gospel writers go into such great detail in describing his post-resurrection encounters with the disciples. While Jesus showed them the holes in his hands and invited them to touch the spear wound in his chest. That's why Jesus ate with them and walked with them so that they would, without any reservation at all, know that he was resurrected and real. Now, I hope this doesn't shock you. But if someone does not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, then according to scripture, they're not a Christian. That's not my determination. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. That's how important this is. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. Those are the minimum requirements to be a Christian. And this is where there is such a lot of sifting going on in the church in the U.S. during this COVID crisis. A lot of casual, I would say cultural Christians are stepping away from the church because Jesus is not really their Lord and they don't really believe in his bodily resurrection. Their faith doesn't really mean that much to them. Their church doesn't mean that much to them. So they're drifting away. And I think in some ways that's a good thing casual, cultural Christians, I hope will be a thing of the past. Because to believe in Jesus is not just head knowledge, it is a heart commitment, a life surrendered. Last week I talked about how the shape of an airplane wing brings together the principles of gravity and air pressure to create uh, flight. 
just as the cross brings together the principles of God's justice and God's mercy. We'll take that airplane illustration just a step further. I can know all the physics about lift and aerodynamics. I can understand how a plane can fly, but I don't really believe it in a biblical sense until I get on the plane and let it fly me somewhere. Believing and confessing means I reorient my life around the empty tomb. It means offering all that I know of myself to all that I know of Christ. It doesn't mean that I've got it all figured out, but I act on what I do know and I trust God to lead me into what I need to know. It means that I find in Jesus the ultimate source of hope and love and forgiveness, grace, healing, truth, and purpose. I discover that the resurrection of Jesus is not only good news, it is the best news imaginable. No grave can keep his body down. You know, all the enemies of Jesus had to do to crush the movement led by his disciples, all they had to do was produce the body. Like in the legal terms, habeas corpus, you know, produce the body, show me the body. Drag his rotting corpse through the streets of Jerusalem, that's all they had to do. And that would have stopped Christianity dead in its tracks. That stopped the 15 other phony messiahs, that's how they stopped them that way. And that's all they had to do to stop the followers of Jesus, but they didn't. They couldn't. They didn't have it. So let's praise God and live with hopeful hearts that because of that empty tomb, we have sins forgiven, a life eternal promise through Christ, a new relationship with the God who loves us, a new purpose to live for Him from this day forward, and new strength from the Holy Spirit whom He sends into our hearts. Let's be hopeful and celebrate this most basic truth. No grave can keep His body down. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you on this Easter morning for the glorious news of your resurrection. May you fill us anew with your spirit and send us out with great hope to share this good news of God's love and mercy with a world that needs to know the hope of Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.